Amen. We're turning to that portion that we read together, to Romans and to chapter 12. Romans and chapter 12. Romans 12, just reading the first couple of verses here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or intelligent service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. <clears throat> we want to take that phrase uh, we find in the second verse, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord's help. Lord, we pray for help in opening up these, these verse and these words. We pray, Lord, for help also in receiving them and for uh, being able to comprehend them in our own minds and in our own lives. Lord, we pray that that will help us as we seek to be transformed, <clears throat> that we might understand what it means, uh, that this is a word which he speaks to the Romans here, that they are to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And Lord, we pray that thou wilt help us to know what that is and how we can do it and what is required of us and what is our part in this. So, Father, we pray that thou wilt direct us and that thou wilt help us to comprehend. There are so often these little phrases in the scripture and they are uh, sometimes quite perplexing. Uh, for us to unravel and to comprehend. So, Lord, be with us tonight, we pray, as we think upon this. And we pray, Father, that we also might not just hear and be hearers only, but doers also of the word, and, Lord, that we might learn and that we might also be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Hear us then, we ask thee, and continue with us this evening. And bless our souls and help us, Lord, not only now to hear these words, but through the work, through the week, to... Uh, comprehend them and to think upon them and seek to put them into practice for the glory of thy name and for the benefit of our own souls we ask these things in jesus name amen <clears throat> so these words are words which perhaps we've read many times it is one of those chapters which is quite well known and particularly these words are very often used be not conformed to this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind and just to look at the words, of course, we have the word conformed, con uh, being the prefix, which means together with, so formed together with the world, and transformed, trans being, of course, that which goes from one place to another, uh, and so that is to be formed in a different way, and that is what we are bidden to do, to be transformed. <clears throat> so considering the, that word then, be not conformed to this world. I want to see that under the heading, uh, the mould we must avoid. Uh, the word mould uh, in the English is certainly uh, can be taken in two ways, and it works both ways. In actual fact, uh, the mould, which is a former, of course, you pour a jelly into a mould and it comes out in the shape of the mould. Hopefully, if you've uh, made it strong enough to be able to stand up. <clears throat> and there is also the mould, of course, which might grow on your walls. If you have damp in your house 
or the mould which grows upon fruit, and certainly the mould of the world uh, that uh, we also see. So the mould we must avoid. And then I want to consider the mercy which is to be acknowledged, and then finally the measure which is to be attained. The mould we must avoid. First of all, to say that there is a mirage of freedom in this world. It is something uh, which is spoken of. It is something certainly in the minds of philosophers. Are we free? Is there a freedom of the will? Uh, There are many modern philosophers who say, no, uh, there is no freedom of the will. That takes you into some deep waters. And it's not my purpose to uh, go into that and to open that can of worms uh, tonight. But how free is our will? Uh, There was a book which was written by Martin Luther called The Freedom of the Will. He goes into this subject in some great depth. But really what we're thinking about here is the fact that there is a free agency in us in the choices that we make, uh, but that there is a bondage of the will. The the, the title of the book was actually The Bondage of the Will, uh, not The Freedom of the Will. Um, there, There is a bondage of the will in the fact that we are bound by sin. And so the choices we make are uh, so affected by the sin which entered into the world at the beginning that they are, uh, they are perverse. And the choices that we make as it comes to spiritual things are usually not the right ones. And unless Christ has worked in us, we make wrong choices. Uh, we base our understanding on on a blindness of not really seeing what there is uh, for the choice to be. And in fact, as we saw this morning, as we were preaching this morning, we saw uh, how the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. So there is a mirage of freedom that people can choose Christ, that they can be Christians if they want to. uh, But there is also in the scripture very clearly the fact that man does not choose Christ. The Apostle Paul in Romans itself said there is none that seeketh after God. And he reiterates it because he doesn't just say there is none that seeketh after God. But he also adds to those words, no, not one. No, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. And you might say, well, I know lots of people who have sought after God. They have sought after all kinds of gods in the world and they have sought to get something But what Paul is saying here is that there is one God, the creator of the ends of the earth. No one seeks after him because he demands purity. He demands perfection. He demands holiness. And nobody really wants to have that degree of righteousness and holiness in their lives. They don't seek after God. They seek after something else. I was just reading yesterday uh, an answer which was given Uh, concerning uh, God and it was the fact well that they had prayed to all kinds of different gods and they had asked for some specific thing and none of them had answered them so therefore there cannot be a God Uh, my answer to that is well if God is almighty why does he answer to you and why must he give you what you want uh, at any particular time you see man doesn't seek after God that they might be the servants of God or the slaves of God But they seek after God that God might be uh, their little pocket genie and give them what they want in this world. And no one is actually seeking after God then. They are seeking after something which will give them something. 
And you find that so often within churches. People come in, they hear what the gospel is, and perhaps they have uh, prayed for this or prayed for that, and they say, well, God didn't answer my prayer, and therefore uh, we, we're not going to follow him. But that is not what we are to be. We are to be the servants of the living God, not the masters of the living God. And who would want a God anyway that we are the masters of? You know, that, that is complete nonsense. So the modern philosopher will say that every decision that we make is a result of previous circumstances and if the exact same circumstances were repeated that the same decision would be made every time. Uh, as I've said, I'm not going to open that can of worms. But what options are there if there are only limited options open? And what is this that is given to us in the world? We think of this uh, word being not conformed or formed together with this world. This world only offers you the options of this world. And it plasters those options everywhere. But it doesn't say, seek after God. The world does not seek after God. The world seeks after itself. And it will have us to seek after ourselves also. There's a mirage of freedom then. But that which we need is a freedom indeed, a true freedom, a freedom from sin, a freedom from condemnation, a freedom uh, from the corruption of our own hearts, a freedom to walk with the Lord. And then we think about these molds. Well, there are many, manifold forms, of course, in this world uh, which we are to fall into. And uh, we see it particularly in these days, don't we? More so perhaps than in, in time past, uh, where we live in a cancelled culture. And if we don't follow the forms of those who uh, think that they have it right, uh, then we can be cancelled. And people uh, have uh, fallen foul of this in so many different ways. Sometimes we're quite glad that they did, uh, because there are all kinds of uh, uncleanness which is there that deserve to be cancelled. But it is a sad thing sometimes when we consider uh, that that which is cancelled is that which is actually correct, uh, that which needs to be heard, uh, that which needs to be discussed. We've heard recently in the news of uh, changing the history of the country. Uh, and, of course, as Christians, we have known this for a long, long time because we hear uh, the history of this country and there is scant uh, regard for the gospel being preached in this land. And yet we go through the villages of the, of the country, we find church after church after church after church, and yet Christianity is not mentioned. Uh, so many of the laws of this country have been moved by those who have been the Lord's people, and yet Christianity has not been mentioned. And even those who were not Christians themselves, not in the true sense anyway of knowing Christ as their saviour, but those who just simply were churchgoers and did so because that was what was expected of them, were still moved upon by the gospel and by the word of God. That was the influence, that was the morality, that was the, the context in which they did the things that they did. And so Christianity has had such an effect uh, that to cancel it is uh, quite ridiculous and preposterous and leaves us with uh, a slanted and, uh, and, and a wrong view of the nation and of the needs of the nation in these times. But there are many forms, of course, that the world takes, and they are all set before the world. And the apostle here is saying, don't be conformed 
to the world. Don't follow their forms. Don't follow the ways of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've been brought up, of course, and our minds have been formed by our experiences. They've been formed by our schooling, by our parentage, by our friends, by the things which are going on in society. They have been formed so that uh, we have an understanding of this world and those things need to be changed. We need to have an understanding, as we were saying this morning, of the spiritual. We need to have an understanding of the presence of God and the power of God. In Ephesians 6.6, 6, uh, there the, we are told that when we do service in this world, we're not to do it with eye service as men-pleasers. And yet so much of what is done in these days is done with eye service, even the works of the world. And people conform to what is expected of them. Even if they don't agree with things, they won't bring those things up and they won't discuss them in case uh, they are put down in some way. And so they conform with what needs to be uh, heard by those who are around them. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ never did conform. We know that for that lack of conformity to the Jewish uh, way of life and the Jewish systems of the day in which he lived, which weren't uh, truly uh, Judaism at all, uh, but as he came, he says in John 7, 7, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. I testify of it. I pull them up. I stop them. I point out the errors. I point out the iniquity. I point out the failings. I point out the sins. And because of that, the world hates me. And it will hate you, not because it hates you, but it will hate you because you love me. And that, of course, is very true. Again, the Lord Jesus in that same book of John says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Nothing. Nothing. The prince of the world has nothing in him. So much was he different in his thinking than the world's thinking that he could say that the prince of this world has nothing in me. Sadly, it's not true of Christians. Even those who have sought the transformation of their mind to the greatest extent, still there are always vestiges of the world and influences of the world. And we can find them in so many things which are said, even in sermons of the past, uh, which fit in with the society of the day which we wouldn't agree with anymore and because society has changed and we see things from a slightly different viewpoint because society has changed we're always affected by that which is around us how important it is then that we're not conformed to the world but that we are transformed our minds are renewed and that our thinking is scriptural our thinking is spiritual our thinking is godly how can we avoid the mold of the world then how can we not be formed like those who are around us who live around us some in the past have sought to avoid uh, that conformity to the world by separating themselves from the world uh, going into convents or monasteries or just becoming hermits by themselves that they might not be affected by the world but even so of course the effect of the world remains in them from the things which they have known 
And just the separation from the world so that they're not influenced by the world is an influence of the world. How do you deal with this? Well, the world would say, well, what you need to do is to withdraw altogether. But that's not what the scripture tells us. What it tells us is that we should get into the word, that we should study the word, that we should fill our minds with the word. As the psalmist says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It is the word that we need, not separation from the world, but to be immersed in the word of God. But in in order to become, to get to that point where we can be immersed in the word and where our thinking can be more influenced by the word of God than it is influenced by the world, we need to be changed. And of course, here the apostle is writing to a church and he is speaking there to the brethren. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice by or through the mercies or the tender mercies or the compassion of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service how can we have our bodies uh, to be in such a state that we are acceptable unto God who among us can say that we are without sin how can who can among us can say that we are holy Uh, the apostle says that present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God who is holy among us who can say that I can stand in the presence of God and and for him uh, to to look upon us as being equal in holiness to himself who among us can say the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me so how do we get to this situation well first of all we must acknowledge the mercy of God it is because God has stepped forth to work in us and to begin the work in us and to continue the work in us that we are able at all to even hear or put into practice some part of what the Apostle Paul says here. So the mercy is to be acknowledged. First of all, in that mercy, the, the mercy of God toward us is in the ransom which is paid. Jesus Christ speaks of himself and he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And we know what a ransom is. Someone is perhaps kidnapped and they are taken and a phone call comes through and we are told that if you want to see this person alive again, you need to pay this amount of money, put it into this account or leave it in the bag in a bin somewhere or meet us somewhere, pay this money and you can have your loved one back again. That's what we think of as being a ransom. A ransom is something which purchases back uh, that which has been uh, taken away. And that really is what Jesus Christ did. Uh, It was to God that the ransom was paid. Some people think that we're ransomed from the devil because we were of our father the devil. And God pays a ransom to the devil. No, we don't pay a ransom. God doesn't pay a ransom to the devil. God pays a ransom to himself because what holds us And what demands our death and eternal destruction is the law of God. It is God's law. That is the problem. That is the thing which demands our destruction because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the ransom, of course, of Jesus Christ is not just a a, a ransom of paying something and so uh, coming up with some funds of whatever kind they might be. 
It's not just the, the shedding of his blood uh, that he might give his blood as a ransom, but it is a, uh, a substitution. He has given himself in our place and worth, of course, so much more. We might see this in, in some film or other uh, where someone says, well, release the hostages and I will come in. And uh, I'm the one that you want or there's more influence if you have me than if you have these 10 ordinary people, ordinary citizens. And so uh, there is a, uh, some thought of the worth. It's interesting. I always find that uh, through all of the uh, films and scripts which have been written and the books and the, and the fictions, it's, it's all there in the scripture beforehand. Uh, that those things have already been brought out, the plots are all there, and uh, a person who knows the scripture can come up with uh, many uh, plots uh, for all kinds of, of different films and, and different things uh, to, to look at. But Jesus gives himself a ransom, a substitution. And even that substitution itself is by the grace of God. God didn't have to say that I will accept Jesus Christ in your place. It was by the grace of God uh, that God should say, well, I will accept this representative man, uh, this man who has come and who has been perfect amongst the generations and can say that the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. I will accept him in the place of a people that I have given to him. So here is the ransom, and we need to acknowledge the mercy of God in the ransom which is paid. We read in John 3, in verse 14 to 17, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The grace of God before the foundation of the world sends forth the Son into the world to live amongst us, to be berated, to be taken, to be crucified upon the cross, and he gave him to us that he might be our substitute that we might go free. And there is the ransom which is paid. But secondly, not just a ransom is paid, but a redemption is purchased. It's not just a matter that we are paid for so that we are free of the condemnation, but we are redeemed. That is, that our senses are redeemed, that we are renewed, that we have a new beginning, so to speak, that we might walk now in the presence as the bondservants of Jesus Christ rather than the bondservants of the law and of death. In Colossians 3 and verse 10 we read, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Renewed in knowledge. So there is something which is transformed in us already. A knowledge of the presence of God. A knowledge of who God is. A knowledge of the spiritual rather than just the carnal world. We are already somewhat transformed from that conformity to the world because we have a new knowledge, a knowledge of salvation, a knowledge of God, and an ability, because now we are alive from the dead, to interact with the God of heaven. 
Similarly, in Ephesians 4 and verse 23, we read, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. What are we to do? Well, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We are to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, of course, if you noted in that first of those verses there, verse 23 of Ephesians 4, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Paul is on the same issue here, writing to different people uh, and a slightly different slant on it because of that. But nevertheless, the same issue here, that we are to be renewed in our minds, in our knowledge. We have to keep, uh, keep in, in, uh, in view the fact that our mind is involved here, that it's not just a, a spiritual thing, it's not just our spirits which are redeemed, but our minds need to be kept by the grace of God. We need to fill our minds with righteousness. We need to fill our minds with the word of God. We need to think on these things. And when we renew our heart, that word heart, so often translated heart, is also translated mind in other parts of the scripture. The heart and the mind are one. Our minds need to be taken into view. And so there is this redemption purchased not just forgiven, the ransom paid, but a redemption so that we are now able to go on. We are now renewed. We are now uh, put in a position, perhaps, uh, we might think of it as being born again. Oh, do we not read that in the scripture? Ye must be born again. We are born again. And so we can grow. And so we can understand and comprehend and that we can bring forth this which the apostle speaks to us of, which is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when we acknowledge the mercy of God, we see the ransom which is paid, the substitution of Christ for us, the redemption which is purchased, not just forgiven, but redeemed, uh, so that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, and the repentance which is produced. And repentance is the part which uh, has worked upon us. So we see it from God's point of view, we are redeemed. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But now there is a repentance also when Christ redeems us, there is a change of mind. And that's what repentance is. As I've often said from this pulpit, the, the Greek word there, metanoia, uh, and the word uh, noio comes from the word gnosis, which is knowledge. Meta means to change, as in metamorphosis. Uh, we use the word quite often, meta. And here we have this change, a metanoio, a change of mind. That is what repentance is. And when God redeems us through Jesus Christ, we, are, we have the ransom paid, our redemption purchased, and a repentance produced. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple the entrance of thy words giveth light that is why it is the preaching of the gospel uh, that again paul says in first corinthians it pleased god by the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe what is preaching well it's the word it's the word which giveth light 
The word comes into the mind. God transforms the mind. There is a repentance. There's a a change of mind, a change of purpose. We desire now not to go on in the ways of the world, but to know more of Christ, that we might inherit the glory of heaven and the presence of the Lord. Again, Ephesians 4 and verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The tremendous words also in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, you may know these words, uh, they are quite well known. Uh, but in Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles and you want to look at them, please do so when we read it for ourselves. But in Ephesians, in Philippians rather, and chapter 2 and verse 5, the apostle says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's the transforming of the mind. The transforming of the mind. And that transformation comes by the word of God. It comes from that word uh, which gives light the entrance of the word. So I want to think finally about the measure which is to be attained. First of all, the end. What are are the ends? Uh, These are means to an end. What is the end that we are seeking after? Well, uh, the scripture says in Ephesians 4, verse 13, and note that these scriptures are all coming together in Ephesians. You may not have noticed that, but Ephesians 4, and they are verses one after the other in Ephesians 4 as he deals with this issue. And he says there, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. These are significant words because we are seeking not to be molded, that is measured, fitted to the world, but be transformed to be measured, molded, fitted to the kingdom of God, to the house of God, uh, for Ephesians speaks about us being a, a house fitly framed together, uh, a habitation of God, and that we are to become to come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or a complete man. Again, here so important that this is the measure that we should be made conformable to Christ, that we should be so filled with the Scriptures, so filled with the understanding of Christ. So filled with a communion with Christ in prayer, calling upon him, speaking with him, speaking to him about his word, praying over the word, filling our hearts with the word, that we might come to this measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, drawn more and more together because of a a single purpose in each of our hearts. Not a single purpose put upon us from the front, but a single purpose put upon us individually by God 
which just naturally draws us together around the presence of the head, which is Jesus Christ. There's the end, then, that we should come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But then there's also here the edifice, the edifice, the building. And again, as we've said in in, uh, Ephesians, it speaks about the building, a holy habitation, a a place where God dwells. And the edifice is spoken of in Ephesians 4. It's time in verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love, the building of itself in love. A effectual working in the measure of every part. Once again, here is the measure. Here is the mold. This is the form which we are to take. This is the thing which is measured out by the scriptures. This is the thing which is to be measured out in our hearts. An edifice. And when it speaks in the scripture about edifying one another, that's what it means. It means to build one another up. We are building in the body of Christ. We are members of his body. Paul, here in Romans 12, continues on and speaks about the differing gifts uh, which are given to us according to his grace. But we are all parts of that body. We're not the same part. Uh, He says in, uh, in Corinthians that the eye is not the ear, uh, the ear is, uh, is not the mouth and so on. We are all different parts in the body. So we may not all see or see things completely the same way. Uh, we are different parts, but nevertheless we have one function. That is to glorify God and to further that kingdom and that building. And then finally the enabling. The enabling. This is where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? And this has always been my problem since I was a a young man. The preacher stands in the pulpit and he says to us, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. And you're sitting in there uh, thinking to yourself, okay, well, I'm waiting for you to tell me how I do it. How do I do it? What's the secret of doing this? Uh, I, I know what I should be doing, but I don't know how to do it. Well, again, God gives us that enabling. It says in Ephesians 4, 7, again, same chapter, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We have grace. We have grace. What is grace? Grace is that long suffering. Grace is that peacefulness. Grace is that which encourages and strengthens that helps us when we fall and when we fail, that picks us up and sets us back upon our feet and says, go on. Don't just give up. Don't go back. Don't just lie there, but get up and come on. Because every step forward is taking you further into the blessedness of God. And every step backwards, of course, is taking you further to the conformity of the world. And so many people have thought to themselves, well, God is never going to save me because I've tried and I failed. I've tried to be good. I tried to change my life. I tried to do the things that the scripture tells me to do, but I find it's not, it's not possible. I, I, I'm not able to do those things. Doesn't the Apostle Paul say the same thing? In that complicated uh, uh, words that he uses in Romans 7, he says... For we know that the law is spiritual, verse 14, 
But I am carnal. I am fleshly, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. I, I don't allow what I do. I, I am against what I do. For what I would, that do I. But what I hate, that do I. That, that, that do I. Sorry. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. You see, Paul himself suffered with the same problem. That he found that when he wanted to do what was good, evil was present with him. And he found that he wasn't able. But nevertheless, he didn't give up. But he got up and he tried again. He pressed forward again. And because of the grace of God and the long-suffering of God, God does not cast us off, but he says to us, come on. Come on, you may have stumbled, you may have failed, but don't stop there. Get up and come on. I have redeemed you. You have my grace. You have my strength. And as the Lord gives us grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ, so we can go on. It's interesting. In Luke 6 6 and verse 38, the Lord Jesus says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together. I'm running over. I was just putting some uh, brown sugar in a jar yesterday. I know it's coffee, actually. I was putting coffee in the jar yesterday from a big pot into a smaller one. And I was putting it in, and there was just a little bit left in the bottom of the big pot. And I thought, that's not going to go in the jar. So I put the lid on the jar, and I shook it. And, of course, that made more space in the top. And then I was able to get the rest of the coffee in. That is what God does with his grace. God gives us grace sufficient and beyond sufficient. He shakes it down. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Note what he is saying here. God is very gracious toward us. Long-suffering. He forgives us. He draws us on. We need to be doing the same to each other. Instead of condemning one another when we fall short, we should be saying, well, come on. We know that you've fallen, but you need to get up and carry on. And let's go on together and let us get victory together. Again, going back to Romans chapter 12 and to the third verse, the apostle says, after these words, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove, that is, test it, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Just stop at those words for a moment. So often we we tend to give up in our following after Christ because we haven't done what we meant to do. Why would that stop us? Because we are proud. Because we think of ourselves above what we ought to think. Because we think that if... God has saved us and we are now Christians. We can just stop sinning and we're going to be perfect. And then we're not. And then we give up because, well, we're not what we ought to be. We're not what we think we are. And we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly. Recognize that we are sinners. Recognize that that's the very reason Jesus Christ died for us, because we cannot save ourselves. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We are saved by faith. Oh, that the Lord would 
drum this into our minds that we would not give up when we have failed we will continue to fail we will continue to stumble and fall right to the end we will continue to stumble and fall we saw recently from hebrews and chapter 12 the sin which doth so easily beset us what is that sin that easily besets us it is doubt but who are we doubting are we doubting ourselves well so we should but are we doubting christ that where sin abounded grace much much will much more abound that we ought not to do because christ's redemption is full and complete nevertheless the apostle still is saying to us be not conformed to this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of god that is don't give up keep on pressing forward and find just how gracious and how tremendous the salvation of god is we are overcomers through him who loved us may the lord bless his word and may write it upon our hearts that we might understand that which the apostle says here and that which the holy ghost has written amen